Hey everybody, welcome to episode 230 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, and I'm coming to you from a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. I'm excited about today's topic, and I think it's apropos given the day. Today is the day that Boston Marathon registration opens for the fall race on October 11th, and I'm going to be talking about lessons in goal smashing, lessons in goal smashing, from one of my greatest inspirations and someone who has a connection to the Boston Marathon race, which is one Roberta Gibb. Roberta Gibb was the first woman ever to finish the Boston Marathon in 1966. She did it even before perhaps more famous Catherine Switzer, who did it in 1967. Roberta's race was run as a bandit and Catherine was the first woman to actually have a fi- an official bib and finish the race. But Roberta's story is absolutely fascinating, and I think it has five big lessons for us in terms of how you set and smash big goals. So we'll talk about that here in a second. Before we get there, just a couple of quick things. First of all, as I mentioned, today is the first day of Boston Marathon registration and runners will have the next few days to get an application in. Boston will then rank order everyone based on their time relative to their qualifying time, the so-called buffer, and then let runners in based on the order of those that have applied. Now the question becomes, what will the buffer be this year? Because we've got a field size that has been declared of 20,000 runners which of that we think there will be somewhere between 13 and 14,000 qualified runners and the balance of the runners in the race will be charity runners, which is always a big part of what the Boston Marathon is about, is, is running for a cause as well. And so the question then becomes, well, what will that buffer be? And many, there are many speculating Personally, I think it's going to be somewhere north of 10 minutes, perhaps 10 to 12 minutes would be the range I would bet on, although there are others that would forecast that it will be less than that. I think the lowest estimated buffer that I've seen is is just north of six minutes, and so somewhere between six and 12 minutes seems to be the consensus, and we'll have to see based on applications where that buffer falls, but good luck to all those that are registering. I hope you're able to get in, and if not, that you'll get in at some point soon. So that's one bit of news for today. Second bit of news is that we have to congratulate Desiree Linden on her 50K world best that she completed last week. Incidentally, she announced yesterday on Patriots Day on what would have been Marathon Monday that she will be racing in this year's Elite Boston Field on October 11th. So that news is out there. But the week prior, as I was recording, the Tuesday prior, she was actually in the middle of her 50K world best attempt, and she ended up smashing that record held by Allie Dixon. The record was 3.07. Des finished in just under three hours by just six seconds to smash that record and now put her name in the unofficial record books as the fastest woman ever to cover the 50K distance. She did that on a bike path near or just outside of Eugene, Oregon, and actually displayed what was completely incredible splits 
from my perspective. She was remarkably consistent, averaging 547 per mile and only falling off ever so slightly of that pace in the final couple of miles. I think her last mile was just north of six minutes, but she really held things together well and got under her unofficial goal of breaking three hours for the 50K distance, which is absolutely amazing. As I said, though, we expected her to break the record, and it's always inspiring to see Des get some big things done. I think we could all use a little bit more Desiree Linden in our lives, and kudos to her on the 50K World Best, and also I'm excited to see her racing Boston in October. Lastly, before we jump into my conversation today, I wanted to quickly mention that my episode sponsor today is a company called Green Chef. I've talked about them before. They are a meal prep company, and I've got a special offer from them for you today that I'll talk about in the middle of today's episode. So thanks to Green Chef for sponsoring today's episode. Let's jump into my topic. We're going to talk about goal smashing and In particular, I'm going to overlay to this conversation the story of Roberta Gibb. Roberta Gibb, also known as Bobby Gibb, was the first woman to ever run the Boston Marathon. She did it as a bandit in 1966, unofficial, but she crossed the line in three hours and 21 minutes and 40 seconds, finishing what would have been, if she was official, 126th place out of 540 runners on the day. And her story is not only a story in smashing barriers that were artificially created for women back in the day, but also, to me, her story represents a blueprint for goal smashing that can really inspire all of us, regardless of what goals we're trying to smash in our everyday lives. And so looking at that story, I wanted to tell some of the some of the background to it because I don't think it's a story that's well known and because I think it's so inspiring there's a lot of fun little nuggets embedded in her story that I'd love to share here and as a part of that I'll be giving you five lessons on goal smashing whatever your big goals may be as you chase them potentially this fall as as real quote unquote real races come back to life. Before I get into those five lessons, just a couple of thoughts on on goal smashing in general. For me, there is nothing more inspiring as a coach than seeing an athlete set a big goal, do the work to achieve that goal, potentially overcoming obstacles along the way, and then ultimately smashing that goal on the other side. It's typically not a linear and perfect story, but that process of goal setting, doing the work, and then getting it done and executing on the day, it really, really, as a coach, brings me a ton of inspiration. And that can come in so many different forms. And I've gotten to see over just the last few weeks a couple of examples of this inside the Rogue community. And in particular, this past weekend, I was really moved by three athletes that I coach here in Austin, Sujata, Sankita, and Lori, who set the goal to run a 50K, their first ultra distance to celebrate their 50th year on this planet. And they were able to 
set that goal earlier in the year, do the work to achieve that goal, and then ultimately get it done, smash that goal this past Saturday. It is hugely inspirational to see athletes follow that process, set the goal, do the work, and then get it done. And so shout out to Sujata Sangita and Lori for their big 50K getting that done. They're doing their first ultra to celebrate their 50th year. It is absolutely inspiring to me. So kudos to you guys. And I'm glad that so many were out there when you finished as a part of our community to celebrate with you. But that picture, that picture of the athlete that sets the goal, does the work, smashes the goal, executes and smashes the goal on the day. That picture comes often in contrast to a couple of pet peeves that I have related to goal setting that I just have to mention before we jump into my five lessons for goal smashing, because I think they're cautionary tales, perhaps, for some forms of goal setting out there. One of my pet peeves, and I think this is all too common in our social media-driven world, is when an athlete or person sets a goal, doesn't do the work, and doesn't have success, and somehow still gets credit anyway for quote-unquote dreaming big. I have, I find zero inspiration in that picture. Sure, set big goals. Sure, failure's okay. I can find inspiration in someone who works hard towards the goal and fails. But if you set the goal, don't do the work, and then fail, I've got nothing for you. That is a picture I think that is all too common in our world where people love to set goals, but they don't actually often follow that goal with the work required to get it done. And for that person, I find no inspiration and I wish we would stop glorifying in our world that picture of goal setting. The second pet peeve of mine is the athlete who doesn't set a goal and who may jump into a race quote unquote untrained and then talk about it afterwards. So this is the person that that posts on social media and just says, hey, didn't train, but I jumped into this race and got it done and did X anyway. Look at me, look at me. And for that person, I also have nothing because if you're not willing to set the goal, and put it out there. And then and certainly if you're not willing to also do the work, then for me, you get no credit for jumping in and doing something unprepared. Now, of course, if that's you, if you want to go jump in, do something untrained, that's fine. But to me, you don't get bonus points for jumping in and, and completing something untrained. That is uninteresting to me. Again, it comes down for me, the inspiration, the true inspiration are those that are willing to set the big goal and put it out there, are willing to follow that big goal with the work required, and who are then also prepared to execute, even in the face of obstacles and failure, in order to achieve that big goal at some point. That's where the true inspiration comes, not from some of these other phantom sources of inspiration, quote unquote inspiration that you might see out there, 
especially on social media these days. So let's jump in. Five lessons for goal smashing. Again, I'm going to use Roberta Gibbs' story as kind of a picture of these things for us so that we can learn from her amazing story. First of all, and it will be no surprise to you that I share this first point, which is that if you're going to set a big goal, then you have to know why you want that goal. You have to understand your purpose for it. You have to have a unique personal relationship with that goal so that it means something to you specifically because that's what's going to carry you through when the going gets tough or when simply you have to go do the hard work in order to get it done. So lesson number one in goal smashing is that you have to have a purpose for the goal. Let's look at Roberta's story. She came across the Boston Marathon at the age of 21 while going to school in the Boston area. Incidentally, she actually lived in the Boston area prior to that, but didn't really have an understanding of the Boston Marathon until she got dragged to watch it by a friend at the age of 21, a college friend of hers. And so she ended up on the sideline watching in 1964 and was absolutely fascinated by what she saw. And she decided at that point that she had to go do it herself. Now, she would try to do it in 1965, or at least she trained for it in 1965. We'll talk about why it didn't happen in 1965 in a minute. But then she came back in 1966 and got it done. And part of her inspiration, part of her purpose for doing it, I'll summarize in this quote. She said, I was running two or three hours a day and it made me feel so wonderful. I thought if only everyone else could feel as good as I feel when I'm running, it would probably solve most of the world's problems. Then I got angry. It was a classic catch-22. How could women prove that we could accomplish something if we were never given a chance to try? That's when I realized that if I ran the marathon, I could explode one of the false beliefs about women's limitations. She was acutely aware of her purpose. She understood two things. One is that she just loved the act of moving through space via running, how it made her feel. The second was that she was doing it to smash the limitations that were artificially placed on women. And at the time, in the Olympics, the longest distance for women was 800 meters. And in other races outside of the Olympics, the longest distance that women could race was 1.5 miles because there was a belief, and I quote, that women were not physiological capable of, physiologically capable of covering 26.2 miles on foot. There was actually a belief in the 60s that women physically could not run further than one and a half miles. That's absolutely insane to think about because in the grand scheme, that wasn't that long ago, but it's true. And Roberta Gibb knew that she had to smash that belief. She also would say later that if I failed to finish, 
I would set women back another 50 years, maybe more. So she understood that the weight of generations were on her back as she set out for this goal, and that's what carried her forward. Now, she would have obstacles, and I'll talk about those obstacles in a second, but because she had this crystal clear purpose for what she wanted to accomplish, nothing was going to stop her, I believe. Now, I'll tell you in a second how she was planning to do it for the first time in 1965. That didn't happen, but she was able to do it in 1966, and the rest, of course, is now history. So what does that mean for you? As you think about whatever big goal you might be after, you have to think about your unique purpose for wanting to achieve that goal. The question is, Why do you want that goal? What does it mean to you? And you should be able to summarize that in a short sentence. And in that short sentence, it should have a specific and personal meaning to you. That certainly could have impact on others. That could be driven by inspiration from others. But it has to be unique and personal to you. It has to mean something. When I think about doing the Boston Marathon, Boston qualifying. One of the things I've talked about before on the show is that often runners come to me with that goal and they'll say, hey, I want to qualify for Boston because it is the amateurs Olympics, so to speak, as it relates to the marathon. And so it's not an uncommon goal. And you might you might see when you're introduced to it, other people in the running community have that goal. And so it's easy to latch onto it personally. But what I find as a coach is that unless and until you develop a personal relationship with that Boston qualifying goal and understand what it really means to you, then it's going to be hard to achieve it. Because when the going gets tough, when failure happens, when you miss it, when you have injury, when something gets in the way, you have to have that purpose to carry you through the difficult times, through the ups and the downs. Because... In goal smashing, the process will not be linear, just like Roberta Gibb. She wanted to run the race in 1965. It didn't happen, but she kept working, and she did it through other obstacles in 1966 and was able to, again, inspire women for generations after and really help open the door for so much more for women as it relates to running. So lesson number one of goal smashing is you have to have a unique and personal purpose for that big goal. Lesson number two, you have to plan and you have to do the work. You have to plan and you have to do the work. We have a saying around rogue that is, what, is, what does the race require when we're talking about training? What does the race require? Or what does, in this case, what does the goal require? When you think about going to chase a big goal, you also need to think about what are the specific skills that you need to develop to achieve that goal. I've been coaching a runner this spring who is trying to go to the Grand Canyon and do the rim to rim to rim run, which is basically just under 50 miles 
from one side of the Grand Canyon to the other side, down, up, and then back, which is just under 50 miles and right around 10,000 feet of elevation gain. It's a massive run for most fit runners. It might take anywhere from 11 to 14 hours. And so it's a long day out there in the canyon through brutal elevation changes and tough conditions. And so the question for training with him is, what does that run require? And the big things that it requires that are typically outside of his training include including prepping for massive vertical change and also prepping for hydration and nutrition fueling in ways that he's never prepped before. And so we've been specifically working on that. So the question with any goal is what does the goal require? And then you have to plan the work and do the work in order to achieve that goal. In the context of Roberta Gibb, she said, look, I need to run a lot. She didn't really know what she was doing. She didn't have a coach, but she said, hey, I need to run a lot. And I need to prove to myself that I can run a long way. And in fact, she wanted to prove to herself that she could run even further than 26 miles in order to train for and prep for the ability to do that on the day. And so she did something really crazy that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but she signed up in Vermont, taking the bus up to the race. She signed up for a race that was dedicated to horses. It was a stage race, three days over trails in Vermont that was typically run by horses and riders. And the year that she did it in prepping for her marathon, she was the only runner actually on the course. And so she ran, and the stage race, the way it was set up, she ran 40 miles one day, and then she was supposed to run 40 miles the second day and 20 miles on the final day of the race. She ended up only making it, only in air quotes, she ended up only making it 25 miles on the second day before she succumbed to injury. But she ended up running 65 miles over two days as a part of this race with horses and riders where she was the only runner. But that helped prove to her that if she could do that, she could cover the distance in Boston that would be 26.2 miles. And so that was a part of her training. Now, I'm not saying you have to go do something that's more than what your goal is in order to prove to yourself that you can accomplish it. But you do have to do big work to prep for your goal. And there's something that I like to call anything workouts. And those are the workouts in your training where if you can do those things, then you can do anything. And it's those those pieces of training that's the part of the work that proves to you that your big goal is possible. If I think about are training here in Austin for the Austin Marathon. The Austin Marathon is a really hilly course, one of the hillier big city races. And so you have to do work on hills in order to prep for the Austin Marathon. And part of the work that we do on hills here is we do these big hilly long runs that we call the run from hell. 
And there's a big hill in Austin called Ladera Norte. It is about 0.6 miles, about 1K up, where you gain close to 300 feet in that 1K segment. If you look at the Austin Marathon course itself, you gain about 1,200 feet over the course of the entire race. And so here we are in a training run, gaining about 25% of the total elevation gain in the marathon over the course of 1K in a training run, which is a really hilly, typically 20-mile run that has lots of other hills built in. But if you can do that long run with Ladera Norte, with that big climb in it, with all the other big climbs in it, then that gives you power and belief that you can run fast on a hilly Austin course with less elevation change. I've talked in recent episodes about long run workouts. And this is again where you have this opportunity to to put put in these anything workouts where if you can accomplish these anything workouts, these big race prep workouts where you're doing pace work built into a long run and perhaps end up out there for a total time that's greater than your target goal time for a given race, that's what's going to prove to you that you can do anything when it matters. And so as a part of the work, to me, you have to include these sort of anything workouts, these anything long runs, these opportunities to prove to yourself that if you can do this one hard thing in training, then that will translate to being able to do an even harder thing to smash your goal on race day. And so lesson number two is that you have to plan and do the work to smash the goal. If you're not willing to do the work, then don't talk to me. If you're not willing to invest in these hard anything workouts, then don't talk to me. Now, that's not to say that you should bury yourself in training. You should not. You have to, of course, balance things where the stress and rest balance makes sense. But if you don't do the hard work in training, then I promise you, you will fold when the hard work shows up when it matters. And so lesson number two, again, do the work. All right, before we get to lesson number three, I want to talk about my partner for the episode, Green Chef. Green Chef is the first USDA certified organic meal kit company. They ship you meals ready to cook with clean ingredients that you can trust that are seasonally sourced for peak freshness. And the beauty of it is, is that it's really easy. They send you all the ingredients. They give you the recipe. All you have to do is then follow the recipe to make the meal fresh in typically what's about 30 minutes. It's really, really simple. As someone who is not a chef, I can attest to that. But basically, you're getting these ingredients. They come pre-measured, perfectly portioned, and partially prepped in many cases so that you can spend less time stressing about the cooking and more time enjoying the delicious home-cooked meal that you've prepped at home with their help. Personally, I've been doing it because I'm not someone who's great at cooking or who loves cooking, but can follow a recipe and really enjoys the paint by numbers recipes that they give you. Today, I'm going to actually make pico crusted chicken with roasted potatoes and kale salad for lunch using one of their easy to follow recipes. And so you can do it too. 
If you want to check it out, you can go to greenchef.com forward slash 90 rogue and use code 90 rogue to get $90 off, including free shipping on your order. Again, that's greenchef.com forward slash 90ROGUE and use code 90ROGUE. Again, 90ROGUE for $90 off, including free shipping. Check it out. They are the number one meal kit company for eating well. And I can attest to that. I think you'll love it. Again, for $90 off, including free shipping, use code 90 rogue at that URL that I just mentioned to check it out. All right, let's jump back into the conversation talking about lesson number three in goal smashing. Lesson number three is that you will have naysayers and that you have to ignore them. Ignore the naysayers is lesson number three. Bobby Gibb certainly had her share of naysayers. Of course, first of all, she got a letter from the BAA after she'd applied to her, to do the race officially. She got a letter that says women are not physiological capable of covering 26.2 miles on foot. So they rejected her official application, which ultimately meant she was going to do it as a bandit. But you had those officials in the official race. And at the time, the Amateur Athletics Union actually only sanctioned, as I mentioned, races that were up to 1.5 miles for women because there was this thought, this crazy thought, that women could only cover that distance without doing some sort of damage to themselves. And so you had those naysayers and the prevailing wisdom at the time. But you also had even her own father told her that she was, quote, delusional when she was prepping to go out for the race in 1966. So even her own dad said, you're delusional. And that must have been challenging for her. And yet... Not only did she not listen to the BAA, but she didn't listen to her own father and, of course, would go out and actually do the race herself. So as we think about this lesson number three, I want you to recognize that you're going to have people that tell you you can't do something. You're going to have those people that tell you you can't. And those people might be people that are close to you. They might be people that are close to you. They might also be people that are well-intentioned. And so I I don't think you can necessarily hold it against someone for doubting or for thinking small because maybe they just don't know better or maybe they're projecting their own fears on you. But you will have those that know you and you will have people hold you down or want to try to hold you down and you have to simply ignore those things. You have to create a personal dialogue about this, reinforced by your purpose, but also immune to the doubts projected onto you by others because you're going to have plenty of your own, I'm sure, but you have to believe. And so don't listen to the naysayers. That can mean both ignoring them altogether, but also creating your own storyline. And this is where, as I've discussed before, I think positive words of affirmation are important. 
writing that story that refutes the naysayers. Putting that then in some big public place that you can be reminded of it every day and repeat it to yourself every day. I can do this. I can smash this goal. It is possible. I am doing the work to get it done. Create that positive affirmation, that short, simple sentence or phrase that refutes the naysayers that you can repeat to yourself when you hear those doubts from others and you can repeat to yourself daily and remind of yourself daily so that when you do face those that are small-minded, that don't see the potential in what you can accomplish, that you can silence them easily because you have that alternative dialogue. You have that angel on your shoulder that's reminding you that you can do something. And so... That's lesson number three, is ignore the naysayers. Know that they will be there and know that at times they will be loud and know that at times there will be people that you trust that may say or perhaps at other times may have your best interest at heart. But in this case, if they're telling you you can't, then you have to ignore And you have to instead rely on your own positive dialogue. So that's number three. Number four lessons in goal smashing is is realizing that you need help. Realizing that you're going to need help. You're going to need people in your life to help you get there. And they will come in different forms and particularly have different roles for you. One of those roles is you need to have mentors. You need to have mentors. You need to have people that believe in you, that can tell you that you can do something. It's not necessarily required, but it is, I think, important. And again, I've talked about this in recent episodes, but of the Olympians that I've interviewed for the Clean Sport Collective podcast, almost universally, they have someone in their life that has told them they can be an Olympian well before they showed that potential. It could be a coach, could be a parent, it could be a teammate, it could be someone else in their life that saw the potential and said, hey, you can do this someday, which then planted a seed that would grow into their ability to get there themselves. So you need those people, those mentors that are going to reaffirm your potential to do this. The other group of people that you're going to need are the cheerleaders, the cheerleaders, the ones that are willing to stand on the sideline and cheer you on, that are going to be the support system, whether that be in person or whether that be virtually through data lines or figuratively cheering from the other side of the screen. You need those people that are going to cheer you on that you can reflect on when the going gets tough and keep going because you know there are those there supporting you. And then the last person or type of person that you need is the worker bee. You need that person that's going to help you just do basic things to get the goal done. They could That could be the person who's going to help crew you doing something, maybe pace you doing something. Could be that person who's going to give you that hand up water bottle at some point in a, 
in your attempt to cover 50K in distance, for example. It could be that person who's going to drive you to the start line. It could be that person who's going to help you complete a training run that you would otherwise have to do on your own. But you're going to need those worker bees as well. And in the case of Bobby Gibb, you had a couple of those examples that I wanted to share. One example was her mother. Her mother heard her father call her delusional. And it did take some goading. But her mother is the one that took her to the start line so that she could go do this in 1966. We'll talk about it more in a second, but at the time, Roberta Gibb was living in San Diego and took a bus three days to Boston, arrived the day before the race, stayed with her parents that morning, but still needed a ride to the start line so that she could make history. Her dad called her delusional. Her mom was skeptical but ultimately drove her to the race. And of course, the rest is now history. So her mom played a role there as a worker bee. There were also cheerleaders out there that day that may not have known that that would be what they were cheering for at the time. But for me, one of the most powerful parts of this Roberta Gibbs story is what happened in Wellesley that day. Wellesley College is right along the Boston Marathon course. It is the home of the famous scream tunnel wellesley for those that don't know it is an all-women's college and they show up on the race course every year and put put together the really probably the best cheer station on the boston marathon course it is what they call the scream tunnel and you can hear the women screaming from a mile away as you approach wellesley college on the boston marathon course It's also, incidentally, the place where you can get kisses from the women that are out there cheering, and and that's always something that you see happening right there at Wellesley, at the Wellesley cheer station as well, is if you pull over to the side, you can get a kiss on the cheek from one of the women that are cheering, and they then send you off with that good luck. On the day in 1966, when Roberta Gibb was on course, there were murmurings in the crowd that there was a woman doing the race that day. And so that was the day that the Wellesley Scream Tunnel went silent. And I'll read this amazing quote. This quote is from Diana Walsh, who was one of the students that was there, who would later serve as president of Wellesley in the 90s and early 2000s. But she said on that day, The word spread to all of us lining the route that a woman was running the course. We scanned face after face in breathless anticipation until a ripple of recognition shot through the lines and we cheered as we had never cheered before. We let out a roar that day, sensing that this woman had done more than just break the gender barrier in a famous race. That coming from someone who was there on that day in the Scream Tunnel, at the Scream Tunnel, how the Scream Tunnel went silent in anticipation, searching for Roberta Gibb, anticipating that she would come. And then when they saw her, they cheered louder than they ever had. And that, to me, is absolutely so powerful. Gives me chills even thinking about it because I know 
the power of the scream tunnel having run through that in my Boston Marathon experiences and to think about what they experienced on that day as the cheers were louder than ever gives me goosebumps. And so Roberta, she needed her cheerleader. She needed her cheerleaders and they came there from Wellesley and they also came by all accounts from others on the course as well as she has said the 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 men in the race were so supportive of her and of course everybody who cheered that day were so supportive of what she was able to accomplish and so we need those people that help us get our big goals that is an absolutely critical part of the process is seeking support now a part of the other side the other side the flip side to seeking support is that you have to tell people about your goals. You have to share it. You have to share the journey. And this, I think, is kind of interesting anecdote about Desiree Linden's 50K attempt is that she put out a quote-unquote hype video the week before the attempt announcing that it was going to be happening the following week and really building up the idea that she was going for the 50K world best And interestingly, she got some criticism from people out there that said she shouldn't have shared it beforehand, that she was somehow putting herself out there too much and that she should really only share it or talk about it after she got it done, which to me is really strange. And she had this perfect response on Instagram. She said, would it be easier to do it quietly and talk about it only if it's a success? 100%. I'm not interested in exploring the easy route. The point is to bring you along, to get you interested and help you feel invested in the results. Does that guarantee success? Of course not. I hope we get to celebrate a new record, but if I fall short, I hope we experience a touch of heartbreak together. And I think Desiree underscores the absolute magic of sharing your journey in chasing big goals, which is that if you share it, then the highs are even higher when you get the goal done because you have somebody to celebrate it with. And the lows aren't as low because you have people to support you and be with you when you don't get the goal and help rehabilitate you, bring you back together so that you can then turn around and do more work to get it on another day. And so I say, if you're going after a big goal, please share it. Because success and failure are better if we do it together. So that's lesson number four is you're going to need help. Bring others along with you in the journey because that's going to help you smash the goal. The last lesson is absolutely critical, which is that you're going to have to overcome obstacles, doubts, and failure along the way in order to get your goal. Now, it's very rare that you set a goal, you do the work, and you accomplish it. That's very rare. Most of the time, it's not linear. You're going to have ups and downs, peaks and valleys, injuries and missteps, missed goals on your way to ultimately smashing the big goal and you have to be ready for that. That is a part of the process. Failure really is only embodied when you quit, when you quit seeking the goal. 
because with all of those little valleys or those missteps along the way, the obstacles, they teach you lessons that will ultimately help you smash the goal in the end. And so if we look back to Roberta Gibbs' story, her obstacles were many. Were many. I already mentioned the injury during the, the stage race with horses, where after 25 miles, she couldn't go further because of an injury. Also, as I mentioned earlier, in 1965, that was the original plan but to, to do the race that year. But she actually accidentally stepped off a curb and sprained her ankle just weeks before the attempt that prior year. And that sprained ankle would ultimately not allow her to complete the race in 1965. So she had to circle back and do it again. Then also in that year after she had the sprained ankle, she moved to San Diego with her husband who was in the military and was stationed in San Diego. And so then as a part of the process to get back to Boston, she had to take a bus leaving four days before race day. Took her three days to get to Boston on a bus, sleeping on a bus, riding on a bus in a contained and cramped environment for three days until she got to Hopkinton. Even in the race itself, it is believed that she was she went out faster than three hours, three hour pace for the early parts of the race, but then was wearing new men's running shoes that she had literally just bought that week. And so her feet were covered in blisters and were starting to really hurt and bother her late in the race. And so she got to a point as she was entering Boston where she wasn't sure if she could finish and she was looking to people in the race and a cop that was there to ask how much further how much further because she was starting to doubt whether she could do it but as she would say and as I mentioned earlier she said if I failed to finish I would set women back another 50 years and maybe more so she kept going through that pain through the challenge and then of course ultimately finished 26.2 miles in an amazing time of three hours and 21 minutes and 40 seconds. So her journey was not obstacle free. She had the misstep literally in 1965. She had the injuries that she had to overcome. And then of course she had the challenges during race week, having to ride a bus from, from San Diego to Boston just four days before her race. And she had the challenges that we've all experienced during the race. And through all of those things, she fought through and still got it done. And so when you're on your journey to goal smashing, expect that you're going to have obstacles. Expect that you're going to have challenges. That is a part of the process. And they should never cause you to stop seeking the goal. They should only cause you to learn the, the lessons that you can from those obstacles so that it helps you get to that higher place when it's time. I also believe that goals smashed where you have to overcome things make the actual victory moment feel even sweeter. So that is not only a necessary part of the process, but it's a part of the process that makes your accomplishment of the goal even more powerful, mean even more. 
So for Roberta Gibb, this would be a race that would obviously become a milestone for women. She would come back the following year, bandit again, and actually run even faster than Catherine Switzer did officially. She would also, Roberta Gibb, be the first woman to finish in the following year as well. So she is now recognized as a three-time winner of the Boston Marathon, even though those years were unofficial. And she says this about it. She says, I did my part. I finished the marathon and changed some beliefs about women. I'm thankful for all that eventually happened in our sport. Most of all, I'm proud and happy that so many women are running today and continuing to show what we're capable of. So her goal smashing led to an absolute cascade of goal smashing by countless women everywhere. And so that's a final reminder in your goal smashing journey is that you too can inspire others by your own journey. And so lean into it. Don't be afraid to go after big goals. But if you're going to go after big goals, remember these five lessons. One, know your purpose. Two, plan and do the work, including the hard work to prove that you can accomplish anything. Three, don't listen to the naysayers. They will be there for sure, but you must ignore them. Four, seek help. Find your team of mentors, cheerleaders, and worker bees that are going to help you get it done. And finally, five, no matter what, keep moving through the obstacles because they will come. And if instead of quitting, you use them as lessons to keep moving forward, then that will make accomplishing your goal even sweeter. So here's to goal smashing for all of you as we head into what is hopefully a season of goal smashing with real races coming back soon enough. So with that, I'm rooting for all of you in smashing your goals. And I will wrap this episode, episode 230. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.